Good afternoon, brothers and sisters. It is a great blessing that we may be here again to join together in worship of our triune God. A hearty welcome to all who are present here and to all those who have joined us via the live stream this afternoon. May the preaching of the gospel message direct our hearts and minds in faith and trust to our Savior Jesus Christ and cause us to live our lives to the praise of Him. To consistory have the following announcements. To consistory as elders only will the Lord willing meet tomorrow at 8 p.m. and the funeral service of our late brother Yitzhu de Hope is scheduled for this Wednesday in this church building at 12 30. And this afternoon the worship service will be read by Reverend Poppy. And before we commence this service, let us sing together hymn 65 verse 3. that our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Amen. Receive the blessing of God, grace to you in peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Amen. Let's sing together. We're going to sing a song of praise from Psalm 9, the verses 1, 2, and 5.
Let's now make a profession of our faith, and let's do so this afternoon with the words of the Apostles' Creed as set to music in hymn one. Father in heaven, once again this Sunday afternoon, we come here together, we come into your presence. We're thankful, Lord, that we can do that. You are our God, and we are your people. We're thankful, Lord, that you are a holy God, that we know that about you, that you're set apart from sin, that there's no evil in you. When the angels are circling around your throne of grace, then, then they sing about your holiness. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Father in heaven, we, we know that about you, also through the scriptures. Thank you that we understand that you're set apart from sin. Thank you that we understand that you're the creator of the world. You're not like us, who are creatures. Father, we honor you, we glorify you. We give you praise for the, the holiness that you have. We also wish to, to ask you, Father, that you would now bless us as we come into your presence. It's our joy to, to worship you, to hear what you have to say to us. We know, Lord, that it is through your word that you draw us into relationship with yourself, that you reveal yourself to us, and that you, you show us what it means to, to live with you. And so we want to pray for a blessing over the preaching this afternoon. Grant, Lord, that your, your word can be an encouragement to us, that we can be built up in, in our understanding and our faith. And we also pray, Father, that you would accept the worship that we offer. We love to come here because we love to sing songs to you. We love to confess our faith and to give our thank offerings. We love to show you how much we love you. Lord, thank you that, that you give us this opportunity. Please sanctify what we do. Grant that it's pleasing in your sight. And please hear us. We ask for the sake of your Son, our Lord Jesus. Thank you for listening to us, Father. Amen. So, brothers and sisters, this afternoon I may preach God's word to you concerning the Lord's Supper, the celebration of the Lord's Supper, we're going to consider who's allowed to come to the table of the Lord. And in connection with that, I'd first like to read with you from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the verses 1 to 22. So 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we'll start reading at verse 1. You can find that on page 1137 of your guest Bible. One Corinthians 10 verse one, there God's word says, 
For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the serpents, nor grumble, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, if anyone... For let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with a temptation he will also provide the way of escape, that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything, or that an idol is anything? No, I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? So far the the reading. Let's now sing together. We're going to sing from Psalm 86, the verses 1 and 2.
This afternoon I may preach God's word to you concerning those who are invited and allowed to attend the Lord's Supper. I'm going to do so by looking at what the church has summarized and confessed in Lord's Day 30 of the Heidelberg Catechism. Lord's Day 30, page 545 of your Book of Praise. First question asks there, what difference is there between the Lord's Supper and the Papal Mass? The Lord's Supper testifies to us, first, that we have complete forgiveness of all our sins through the one sacrifice of Jesus Christ, which he himself accomplished on the cross once for all, and second, that through the Holy Spirit, we are grafted into Christ, who with his true body is now in heaven, at the right hand of the Father, and this is where he wants to be worshipped. But the Mass teaches, first, that the living and the dead do not have forgiveness of sins through the suffering of Christ unless he is still offered for them daily by the priests. And second, that Christ is bodily present in the form of bread and wine and is there to be worshipped. Therefore, the Mass is basically nothing but a denial of the one sacrifice and suffering of Jesus Christ and a cursed idolatry. Who are to come to the table of the Lord? Those who are truly displeased with themselves because of their sins. Yet trust that these are forgiven them and that the remaining weakness is covered by the suffering and death of Christ, and who also desire more and more to strengthen their faith and amend their life. But hypocrites, and those who do not repent, eat and drink judgment upon themselves. Are those also to be admitted to the Lord's Supper, who by their confession in life show that they are unbelieving and ungodly? No, for then the, wrath, for then the covenant of God would be profaned, and his wrath kindled against the whole congregation. Therefore, according to the command of Christ and his apostles, the Christian church is duty-bound to exclude such persons by the keys of the kingdom of heaven until they amend their lives. Then after the proclamation of the gospel, we'll sing together from hymn 60, verses 1, 2, and 4. Dear brothers and sisters, congregation loved by the Lord Jesus Christ, about a month we get to celebrate the Lord's Supper again. The Lord gives us this really special gift where he invites us to have fellowship with him. He wants to invite us to, to sit down and to have a meal and to share in Jesus Christ. And it's really quite something. It is, it is through faith that we have unity with Christ. It's when we believe in Jesus Christ, then he invites us to come forward and we get to eat and drink in remembrance of him. And so through faith, we believe that we're united with him, that we have fellowship with him, that we sit together at a table with him, and that we, we share in his body and blood. Well, such a, a rich gift because it's symbolic that we get to share in true life, in the abundant life. We get to share in the life where where we know God, and where he walks in fellowship with us, and we have fellowship with him. Well, the question becomes, who gets to share? Should everybody be allowed to, to come to the Lord's Supper and to partake of, of this special meal? Or should that be limited in some way? Well, as the scripture teaches, this gift is not intended for everyone, this gift is intended for those who believe in Jesus Christ, those who confess Christ, those who are united to him by faith. And our confession fills that out a little bit, and, and it talks about what are the prerequisites in order to be able to share in the Lord's Supper. And it says in the first place that you need to have a real recognition of your sin. You need to be sorry about your sins, that you see your sin and that you're sorry about it and that you flee from it that you trust Christ to forgive it. And so everyone has a responsibility to examine their hearts, whether or not they recognize their sin, whether or not they're really truly sorry for that. And so God says, that's the first thing. If you don't see your sin, if you're not sorry for it, if you don't care about sin, then 
you need to be careful that you not come to the Lord's Supper. And then the, the second part of it, we also confess that the elders have a responsibility. It's not just that you individually have to examine your own heart, but the elders also have this responsibility to ensure that only those come to the table who are true believers in Jesus Christ, who recognize their sin for what it is, who acknowledge it, and who flee from it. And so the real question is, do you hate your sin? Do you flee from it? Are you honest about it? And then in the background, there's also a second question. You know, how do you handle requests from others who wish to join? If there are others who are new to the church, if you have others who come to us from other churches, how do we manage that? Are they allowed to join? And under what, what kind of conditions should we allow others to celebrate the Lord's Supper with us? Well, we're going to consider these questions under this theme, God delights to have fellowship at the Lord's Supper with those who trust in Christ. We're going to see in the first place the privilege of fellowship with God, and then secondly, the responsibility of fellowship with God. So who's allowed to come? Well, in the first place, the Lord teaches us that only those should come who believe in Jesus Christ. We just read together a moment ago from 1 Corinthians 10, but it is in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 16, the Lord, he says there, he says, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? And the bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? God's teaching us here, when you celebrate the Lord's Supper, then you're sharing in Christ. You're sharing in his body, you're sharing in his blood, you're participating with him. And so who may come to the table of the Lord? Well, it's those who have faith in Christ. It's those who participate in Christ. It's if you don't have faith in Christ, then you ought not to come. Well, if you think about what it really means, brothers and sisters, to, to come forward here, then it's really quite something. You get to share in Christ. You get to come near him. You get to participate with him. And if you, wonder, if you think biblically, about who's allowed to come into the presence of God, then all of a sudden you realize that it's a really big deal to come to the Lord's Supper. I thought what I'd do with you this afternoon is just briefly look at a few passages in the Old Testament and then compare that with the New Testament, just see how that works out. And so the core question is, who's allowed to have fellowship with God? Who's allowed to come into his presence and to be with him? Well, one of the passages in the Old Testament that one of the Bible books in the Old Testament that, that addresses this question very clearly is the book of Leviticus. In Leviticus, the Lord sets out a lot of laws. And the whole question is, how are people able to come into the presence of God? And the book starts off with the first six chapters, the first seven chapters. There's a lot of rules and regulations about sacrifices. What does it take for someone to come close to God? Well, the first thing you need to do is you need to deal with your sins. And so there's five different kinds of sacrifices, and two of those were mandatory sacrifices. You had the sin offering and the guilt offering. And in these offerings, you would kill an animal, and you would shed its blood, and you would sprinkle the blood before the Lord, or pour out the blood before the Lord, and that blood paid for your sins. It was a sign of the, the coming of the Messiah who was going to pay. And it was on the basis of the shedding of blood that you're able to come into the presence of God. And then again, there's another regulation. Who's allowed to actually make the sacrifice? Well, it's only the priests. It's those who are consecrated, who were set apart, who were ordained for service in the temple, who are allowed to, to make these sacrifices. And then in order to actually come into the sanctuary to be with God, there was actually a number of rules that the Lord set up before that. There are certain things that if you participate in certain things or if you did certain things, that you would be considered unclean. And if you're unclean, then you're not allowed to come into the temple. You're not allowed to be near God. And so one of the first things is you have to be careful about what you ate. If you eat any animal that has a split hoof and that chewed the cud, then that was okay, but any other animals besides that was not okay. Then God said, any bird of prey is forbidden. 
And he said, if you eat any flying insects that have four legs, that's also forbidden. Well, why all these regulations? And the Lord says, Leviticus 11, verse 45, you shall therefore be holy because I am holy. I'm set apart. And God says, I set these regulations in place so that you can share in my holiness. We're not sure exactly why each of these laws is, specific laws is given, but the law is you can't participate in these things because if you do participate in them, then you're not allowed to come into my presence. But first you have to wash or first you have to make a sacrifice before you're able to come near me. And then the Lord also required purification for a bunch of different things. If you touched a dead body, then you first need to be purified. Or if a woman gave birth to a child, she first needs to be purified. If you had a skin disease, or if you lived in a house that had mildew, or if you had a bodily discharge, then before you're allowed to come into the temple, you first needed to be purified. Well, the point is that God's a holy God, that he's separate from sin, he's separate from those things that lead to sin, and he says, only those people who share in my holiness are allowed to come into my presence. Well, these laws, they don't apply to us anymore. When the Lord Jesus Christ came, then he fulfilled the laws. But it's really interesting, the principle that stands behind the law, it still stands. And it's still there. One of the passages in which the Lord Jesus Christ explained that is in, in Mark 7. The Pharisees at that time, they were following a whole bunch of Old Testament prescriptions. They actually added a few things to it. One of the rules that they added is that before you're allowed to eat, then you first need to wash your hands. And Lord Jesus Christ, he, he didn't have any patience for that. He said, that's not one of God's laws. You're binding the people to something that God never said. And so they came to him and they say, why don't you follow the tradition of the elders? And Lord Jesus Christ says, because that's not a rule that my father set. You don't have to wash your hands before you come to eat and before you before you have fellowship. That's not what God says. He called them hypocrites. Then after that, he says that in Mark 7, verse 18, he says, do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. What comes out of a person or sorry, for from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. Now, in saying this, Jesus Christ is not saying that you don't need purity. He's saying you need to be pure. But he's saying purity doesn't come through the laws of the clean and unclean. No, purity in God's presence, it comes from living a holy life. From living the kind of life that God teaches you in his law. And the Lord teaches you to love him. And he teaches you to love the people around you. So Jesus Christ is saying, he's saying, you can eat ham. And you can have bacon and you can enjoy some calamari. Calamari. Squid rings, onion rings, the good things. You can enjoy all these good things. That's allowed. But he says what's not allowed, what makes you impure, is the evil that's in your heart. And so he says, if you're going to come into my presence, then you can't give these evil things a place in your life. And that's a theme that the New Testament develops over and over in all sorts of different ways. And so another passage, maybe you want to turn with me to that. It's in the next book, next letter that Paul writes to the Corinthians. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. In 2 Corinthians 6, near the end of the chapter, there, the Apostle Paul, he encourages the Corinthians to live this kind of a holy life. So it is in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14, there God says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? 
Or what fellowship is light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord. And touch no unclean thing and then I will welcome you. And I will be a father to you and you will be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. God is saying, you are the temple of God. And since you are the temple of God, you can't participate in evil. You can't go along with that. You can't share in that. It doesn't work that way. Christ has nothing to do with Belial, with the devil. Light has nothing to do with darkness. He says here that, that righteousness has nothing to do with lawlessness. A believer doesn't share in the life of an unbeliever. And so what does it take for you to come in presence of God? Well, God says, come out from them and be separate from them. Have nothing to do with them. Don't go along with unbelievers and all the wicked things that they do. If you want to come into my presence, then you need to be a holy people. And that's not food and drink, but that's ethical living. That's knowing me and loving me and walking in my ways and fleeing from those people who don't participate in that. It says, Peter writes, 1 Peter, 4, 1 Peter 1 verse 14, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Well, you read that, brothers and sisters, and then you wonder the question, what does that mean, real life, in terms of celebrating the Lord's Supper? Well, God's saying... Is he saying, before you come to the table, you need to examine your heart. You need to see if there is sin within you. And if there is sin, then the question is, do you love it or do you hate it? Do you go along with it or do you resist it and do you flee from it? It's really something to ask yourself, brothers and sisters, because by nature, we don't hate sin. Our nature is to love sin, and our nature is to go along with that. Sin is pleasurable, and our hearts are deceptive. Jeremiah 17.9, the Lord, he talks about how deceptive our hearts really are. So the devil, he doesn't tell you the truth about sin, he deceives you. He never tells you that, that pride is, is a horrible way of stealing glory from God. That pride estranges you from other people, estranges you from family members and friends. He doesn't tell you that if you're proud that one day you're going to be humbled, that your world's going to come crashing down around you. No, if you're proud, then he stirs you up in that. He wants you to, to put you into a place where you love hearing things, where other people think a lot of you, and you want to hear more of that. You want to feed your pride. The devil doesn't warn you that greed is idolatry, that if you give greed a place in your life that it estranges you from God, that it ends up causing some conflict in your family, because you get caught up in this world of pursuing things. Now he lets you enjoy all the things that money can buy. And he gives you a false sense of security in your wealth. But the Lord, he warns us against the deception. Over and over. That's one of the key things in the scriptures, brothers and sisters. He says, watch your heart. Your heart is deceptive. It starts little and it grows and it grows. And so he often calls you out on that. And he warns against that. Hebrews 3.13, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one, a day, one another every day, as long as it is called today, 
that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. He warns you there. Take care, lest there is this evil heart within you. A little later in Titus 3, verse 3, there it says, Paul says, that before Christ freed us, we were foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures. Or Ephesians 4, verse 4, God tells us to put off our old nature because it is corrupt through, through deceitful desires. Sin is like that, brothers and sisters. It deceives you. The really dangerous thing, the way it happens, often for, for us who know the Lord, who grow up in the church, who've had a relationship with God for a long time, the way it happens is often when we start relaxing and when we coast. You may not crystallize the thoughts. You don't actually think it out loud. You never say it to anyone. But in your heart, you kind of have this idea, you know, I'm in. I'm a Christian. I go to church, and I believe in God. But in the meantime, you don't delight in God's word. You don't really do that many devotions. You don't really have a living relationship with God. You skim in a relationship with God. You never go deep. Do you love him? Do you honestly serve him? Do you really flee from sin? Paul warns the Corinthians about that. 1 Corinthians 10. He warns them about idolatry. These people, they had many spiritual gifts. They're blessed in so many ways. They had all this, all these gifts of God. And the danger is that they began to coast. They thought, we're in. We're really good. And they actually got to this place where they started looking down on other believers because they were following the super apostles. I follow Cephas. No, I follow Paul. No, I follow Christ. And so there's a lot of pride. And they really put themselves in the center. In the meantime, Paul writes this letter to them and he admonishes them because he calls it out for them. He says, you know, the truth is, he says, you're really in danger of idolatry. It's in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 14. He says, you know, you have some people among you who go along with pagans in sacrificing to their gods. They go off and they sacrifice to their gods and you go along with that and you have no problems with that. And Paul says, what are you doing? He says, it's true that an idol is nothing there is only one God, and that's the Lord in heaven. But he says, don't you realize that behind idols there's demons? That these people are worshiping demons? And don't you realize that you can't worship God and worship demons at the same time? You need to make a choice. If you're going to serve God, then you serve God. And if you're not going to serve God, if you're going to go along with demons, you need to be honest with yourself about the fact that you're not serving God. In verse 21, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons... You cannot partake in the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Well, it's possible, brothers and sisters, you hear about that and you think, well, I'd never do that. That's not me. I'd never go along with that. You know, I'm not an idolater. But then it's really interesting what Paul does in the first part of this chapter is that he takes some examples out of Israel's history of some of the idolatry that they committed. He goes back to the time when the people were in the desert. And he uses four examples of the Israelites living in the desert, and he shows the idolatry that was going on in their hearts. So it's in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 7. He refers to how the people handled themselves when Aaron made a golden calf in Exodus 32. It says there in verse 7, Verse 7, do not be idolaters as some, as, as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Well, that's the language that's used back in Exodus 32. And if you read about what it really means, they sat down to eat and drink, they got up to play. The word for play has sexual connotations. These people were drinking and getting drunk. These people were 
were engaging in all sorts of inappropriate sexual activity. That's the way they used to worship their gods in Egypt. And now they come out of Egypt, they build this golden calf, and they start doing the same stuff. And the Lord says, that's idolatry. That's not okay. Or a little later in verse 8, he reminds them of how some Moabite women invited the Israelites to join with them in sacrificing to their gods. Well, what happened to them is typical what happens to anyone who hangs out with someone who's not a Christian. You go along with them, they end up becoming like them. And what did these Moabite women do? They invited these men to sleep together with them. Then in verse 9, he warns them about the time when the Israelites were traveling through the desert and they became impatient with the Lord. It's in Numbers 21.5, it tells us that they complained that there was no water and no bread. They were sick and tired of the, the manna that God gave them. Well, they forgot about the fact that the reason they were in the desert for 40 years is because of their own unbelief. And they didn't care about the fact that the Lord gave them this bread from heaven that their sandals never wore out, that their, that their clothes never wore out. The Lord consistently and faithfully provided for them. Yet these people, they were really unhappy. It was their comfort, it was their pleasure. They wanted a steak dinner and they wanted a nice bottle of wine. And God calls that idolatry. Or number 1642, the people grumble against Moses because Korah and his followers were killed. That's the story, number 16. Korah, Dathan, and Byram, they rise up against Moses and they say, why should you be the only one who leads us? We also have the Spirit of God. We should be leaders too. And then the Lord was very upset with them and 250 people died. These leaders and their followers, they all died. And the next day, all these people are grumbling against Moses and Aaron. You killed the Lord's anointed. The Lord is he was very upset with that. The Lord says there that you can't just speak against those who are positions of leadership in his church. That's idolatry. That's grave, that's a serious sin. Every time you read the stories, every time the Bible tells us that thousands of people died. God judged these people for the sin that they committed. And then Paul's point in writing these things down, Paul says... These things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he falls. Paul saying they were guilty of idolatry and it led to great judgment. And he's saying to the Corinthians, if you think that you can go on and commit the same kind of idolatry and get away with it, it doesn't work that way. You can't participate in that kind of idolatry and then come to the Lord's Supper. You can't grumble and complain against the office bearers. You can't grumble and complain against God because of what he gives you. You can't go along with this world in living immoral and in living godless and greedy lives and then turn around and come and sit down at the Lord's Supper and think it's all okay. The Lord says it's not okay. He says only those may participate at the Lord's Supper who recognize their sin and who are sorry about it, who confess it and who flee from it. And so who's allowed to come to the Lord's Supper table, brothers and sisters? It's those who are honest about sin. That's the first question in self-examination. Do you recognize that you're a sinner? But are you truly sorry for your sins? That's where it starts. And if you're in that place, and the greatest message is the message we heard this morning, that Jesus Christ came to take away all your guilt, to forgive all your sins, that there is no sin, there's no shame, there's no guilt, there's no condemnation. He's taken it all away from you because he loves you and because he wants to have fellowship with you. Because he wants to bring you into his presence and he wants you to sit at his table. He wants you to have communion with Christ and he wants you to bring you into the kingdom. And so he says, in the first place, you have to be honest with yourself. You have to be honest with me. You have to call it out for what it is. And when you do that, then he says, I'm a God who's filled with grace 
I'm filled with mercy, then I delight to have you come into my presence. And then the last part of self-examination is you have to look in your heart. If you realize that you're a sinner, if you understand what Christ has done for you, are you also thankful for that? You have a heart that's filled with gratitude to God. Does that show in the way that you live? Do you live in such a way that, that in everything you want to thank your Lord? You want to praise your God for who he is and for what he's done for you? Well, these are the people who are invited to the Lord's table. And so if we get back to the questions that we started with, brothers and sisters, who's allowed to come? How do we manage that? How do we think about that? Well, in the first place, you have a responsibility in your own heart. You have to examine your own heart to see where you're at, to see what's really going on inside of you. If you recognize sin, if you believe in Christ, if you live a thankful life for the grace that God has given you, and if that's you, then you need to come. You need to be here. Then you need to be a part of the Lord's Supper. And if that's not you, then you need to stay away. Then you can't come. Because you can't participate in the table of the Lord, in the table of demons. Then you have some work to do to set your heart right before the Lord, to flee from your sin, and to seek his grace. And it's in, con- in that context that the Lord also says that the elders have a responsibility. It's because our hearts are deceptive that there's times we don't see it. We think we're okay. And we think that everything's fine and we think something's not a big deal and we think it should be okay for us to do it. And then sometimes the elders need to sit down with us and they need to have a difficult conversation. And they need to challenge us. They need to ask the hard questions about where we're really at and what's really going on. And if your elders do that with you, if they sit down with you, they have a home visit with you and they ask you some pretty direct questions, And don't take offense to that. That's your Lord. Your Lord sent them. And he loves you. And he wants to bless you. And so he sends these men into your life. He specifically sets them apart. And he says, your task is to take heed to the congregation. Your task is to have oversight over my people. It's in Acts 20. It's a little later in in Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13, 17. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive. For they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Your elders are a precious gift from God to help you to flee from sin and to walk in his ways. And so open your heart to them and let them walk the journey with you. Don't just give them pat answers, but let them walk with you through life. Let them help and encourage you with the word of God. It's when you do that, that that the Lord throws open the table. He throws open the kingdom. He says, you are my son. You are my daughter, and I want to help you. I want to bring you in. That's the one thing that, that the Apostle Paul really encourages God's people with here. It's in verse 13 that you have that very famous passage. It's striking to know the context within, that, within which that verse comes. In 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. He gives you a way of escape. And the way of escape is the preaching of the gospel. You hear the word, and you're convicted of your sins. You go home, and you repent. You don't do it anymore. The way of escape is your family members, your husband or your wife who confronts you. It's your children who call something out for you. It's your parents who admonish you. The way of escape is your elders who meet with you and who visit you and who encourage you and who build you up, who admonish you in the Lord and who help you to walk near to God. The way of escape is the Holy Spirit himself who lives in your heart and who strengthens you so that you understand how much God loves you that you respond to that love by fleeing from sin, by coming out of them, by being separate from them, and by living with your Lord. This is God's great desire for you, brothers and sisters. He loves you a lot. He wants you to have fellowship. And so he, he teaches you what it takes here. He wishes that a month from now, when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, that you would partake, that everyone here would share. Amen. Let's sing together, brothers and sisters. We're going to sing from hymn 60, the verses 1, 2, and 4.
Thanksgiving and prayer. In our prayer this afternoon, we'll remember a couple of memorable things. In the first place, we're going to thank the Lord. Today is a really special day in Papua New Guinea. There is the Bethel Reformed Church of Baratete that is being instituted today. So this is one of the, the preaching points where Reverend Hart was working as a missionary. It's in the Port Morrisby area. This happened many years ago. He was there some 15 years ago when he did his, his missionary work in that area. And it's today's the day when that church is actually being instituted as a church um, in PNG. So this is the second instituted church there. So we're going to thank the Lord for the gift of that institution and praise God and ask God for his blessing over them. We'll also pray for Pastor Nawai and for the consistory there in Baratete that they can continue to lead the congregation. We're also going to pray for, um, for brother and sister Sean and Lauren Dykstra. They could be married yesterday. And finally, we'll ask God for a blessing over the, uh, the family and the friends of our brother Dehoop. Um, for the funeral later this week. Let us pray. Almighty God and Father in heaven, we come to you, Lord, and we, we humble ourselves. Thank you, Lord, for your word. It's in your word that you teach us that you want to have fellowship with us. But at the same time, you tell us, Lord, that's only possible if we share in your holiness. Father, by nature, we are not holy. It is our nature to, to give sin a place in our lives. It's our nature to love sin. Our hearts are deceptive. And many times we, we allow sin to, to fester in certain pockets of our lives. We thank you, Lord, that you have given us your word. It's through your word that you teach us about what a holy God you are, how there is no evil in you, and how you can't make peace with evil. You're a God who us to, to deal with it. And we thank you then that you have sent your son, Jesus Christ, into this world so that all who believe in him can share in his holiness. Father, we believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to do this more and more. Please give us your Holy Spirit so that we can recognize the areas where there is sin in our hearts, that we're truly sorry for that, where we fight against it, and where we flee from it. Please strengthen us in this spiritual war, Lord. We thank you that, that you promise us that you will not leave us on our own, but you will help us in our fight against temptation. Father, we pray that you strengthen us with your spirit, that you strengthen us through your word, that you also give us people around us, brothers and sisters and parents and fellow believers and office bearers who are able to speak into our lives, who have the courage to tell us about what the truth is and about who you are and to point sin out in our lives and to help us to flee from that. Please encourage us with your spirit so that we can do this well, that we can carry each other well, that we can love each other well, and that together that we can live in peace and in unity, in holiness before you. Father, thank you that this is your joy, and thank you that you make it possible through Christ and through his spirit. We pray that we may share. And then we want to pray, Father, that you would please help those who are struggling in faith. There are some members of our church who who struggle. They, they struggle to believe in you. They struggle to, to also trust you. They struggle to flee from sin. But we want to ask that you would work powerfully in their lives, that you help them, that you rescue them from sin, that you draw them close to you. Please help them to understand your love and your grace and help them to respond to that by loving you and by seeking your face. In this regard, we also wish to pray especially for our brother Dennis Tewarek. Father, a couple of weeks ago we heard the news that he, he indicated to Consistory that he wishes to withdraw his membership from our congregation. We want to ask, Lord, that you, 
that you make it different for him, that you would work in his heart with your Holy Spirit, that he may repent of his sin, that he be restored to you. Please humble him, Lord, and please bring him back, and please do it for Jesus' sake. Father, thank you that we may know that you have the power. We rely upon that. We do it, we do it because that's what you teach us. We also wish to ask you, Lord, that you help us in all the other circumstances of life. But later this week, we get to bury our brother to hope. Father, we want to pray that you would comfort us around that time. Be near to his family and be also near to us. He loved many of us and he did it well. And we loved him. And we ask, Father, that you would please then comfort us with the promises of the gospel. Thank you so much that we may know that death is not the end, but that Jesus Christ has defeated death. Please help us to remember that. Please help us to grieve his loss. Father, we also want to pray that you be near to many others in our congregation who are grieving the loss of loved ones. Please be near to us and please comfort us. Help us with your Holy Spirit and please be a father to us for Christ's sake. And then, Father, we also wish to thank you for the, for the beautiful things. We want to thank you for the wedding that we could witness yesterday between Sean and Lauren Dykstra. Thank you so much, Lord, that they can make their vows. We want to entrust them to your throne of grace now and to, to ask you that you help them to fulfill those vows. Help them to be true to each other, Father, in good days and bad, in riches and poverty, in health and sickness for as long as they both shall live. We want to pray that you would please also bless them with children. If it's your will, Lord, please give them children. Give them a lot of joy in, in raising their children to know and love you. Please surround this family with your love and care. Shine your face upon them and be gracious to them for Jesus' sake. Father, we also want to pray for those who, who are dating and those who are looking forward to getting married. I want to ask, Lord, that you please bless them, that they can grow in relationship together. Grant, Lord, that, that they may grow in love for each other, that they are able to help each other, that they can have much joy with one another. Please also keep them pure, Lord. Please protect them from sin. We pray that in due time that, that we can have more weddings, that we can witness your grace and your kindness to us through that as well. Father, we also pray for those who are single members within our church. I want to ask that you be with those who, who don't have a life partner. Please be near to them. Grant, Lord, that they find their peace in you. Thank you that, that you teach us that our Lord Jesus Christ is the greatest thing in the world. And grant that, that we and also they can find their identity in Christ. And grant that he is sufficient for them. And then, Father, we also pray that if it is their will that they get married, that you, that you grant that to them as well. Thank you that you're a good God, that we can leave this with you. And Lord, we trust you to look after us, to provide. Dear Father, we also pray for those who, who don't have children. There are some members of our church who would love to receive children from you. Please grant your blessing. Thank you that you, that you do that, and please continue to do that for us, Lord. We're grateful that that you're a good God, that you love to provide, and we rest upon you to do that for us. I want to pray also, Lord, to, to thank you for the blessing that you've given to the churches in Papua New Guinea. We're so grateful, Lord, for the, the institution of the congregation in Beretere. Thank you so much, Lord, that, that you brought the congregation to this place. It's such a beautiful thing when your word goes out, when people believe in you. It's a beautiful thing when office bearers come to maturity of faith, that they're able to lead the congregation to know you and to love you. We want to entrust this church to your throne of grace. We want to pray for your blessing upon it. We want to ask, Lord, that you be with Pastor Nawai and with the, with the consistory. We want to pray that you would please help them to lead and guide your people to walk in your ways. Father, thank you for, for the blessing that you've given to them. Thank you we have two churches in P&G. We pray for the fellowship that they may have. We pray also for the fact that they may be a blessing to the other congregations and the other preaching points that are there. Please also bless the work of our missionaries, that they may continue to spread the hope of the gospel to others, that many more may come to faith in you. Father, thank you that this is your joy, and thank you that we get to participate in this work, and we pray for your blessing upon it. We also ask, Lord, that, that you would bless the collections that we have here for the work and mission. Please use it for your glory and for the well-being of your people there. Father, thank you that we can ask you for all these things. We also now pray that you take care of us in this coming week. Please be near to each one of us in the different jobs that we have, all the tasks and responsibilities that you've given us. Bless us in our entertainment, in the, the time that we have in, in, relax, in relaxing, in sports, and 
in all the different things we get to do in life. Help us to, to receive everything from you and help us to use it all for you. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, brothers and sisters, you have the opportunity to serve God with your thank offerings. The collection this afternoon is indeed for the mission work in PNG, and thereafter we're going to sing of the holiness of God, hymn 5, the verses 1 through 4.
Receive now the blessing of the Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Amen. <clears throat>